0: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, January 8th. Of course, if you listened to the earlier episode of today's Mini Break Podcast, you know we are well aware it is actually Tuesday, January 12th. To reiterate what I said in our earlier episode, to help catch all of you listeners up with all of the action that has happened throughout the first week of the professional tennis season, we are recapping each day's play individually here on the Mini Break Podcast. We're bringing back one of our favorite segments, our changeover chats, to allow me to talk about my favorite matches from each of the day Players that have stood out in both positive and negative ways. Since you already heard the format on the earlier podcast, I will also just quickly state one more time the reason we are able to do this day in, day out, of course, because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our fantastic Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Midwest Sports. If you have any needs for your own tennis equipment, for your own game, go check out our friends at Midwest Sports. They've got all the best brands, all the best prices. You use our promo code. CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll also get 15% off your order, free two day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, you'll get a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Okay, I want to once again start this episode in Abu Dhabi because, and I will do more research for all of you later in the week, I can't imagine we have ever had an opening event of the WTA season feature this loaded of a draw. I mean, you have what, I think it's like 12 top 25 players in the world were all in the draw to start the event. Now, of course, there have been off-court things that have happened, a couple of players testing positive for COVID-19, how that impacts not only this tournament, but of course, what we see in Australia is something we will talk about later in the week and much more frequently in the build up as we get closer. To the 2021 Australian Open, uh, but of course we have seen so many fantastic performances that I've talked about already on this mini break podcast. And I hate to beat a dead horse here because you've heard from her repeatedly in our From the Presser podcast, on our great on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Excuse me, you've heard her heard me talk about her so frequently down the home stretch of the 2020 season. And that's because she didn't lose in her last two events, and she hasn't lost yet to kick off this 20. 2021 season the match i want to start with is a breakdown of arena Sabalenka against alia tamjanovich Look, I want to talk about Tamjanovic as well because I was surprised at how impressed I was by Alia Tamjanovic. I really haven't watched that much of her throughout her pro career, and I know she's broken the top 50, been, I believe, top 40 in singles before, and I know she's pretty solid, but for me, there's just never really a reason to watch her, although, you know, again, I'll get back to what impressed me about her game in a little bit, but it's time to talk about Arena Sabalenka and why this is the season She needs to win, and I think she will win. A grand slam and there just something seems to have clicked for every aspect of her game and it really happened in that Ostrava quarterfinal. She was down 6-0-4-0 to Sara Ceribas Tormo if you remember. She comes back to win that match 0-6-6-4-6 love. 12 straight games from there she drops only one set throughout the rest of the season and earns titles in Ostrava and Linz. Now you look at the win she got along the way. She beat Coco Goff, Jen. Ben Brady, Vika Azarenka, Elisa Mertens, Barbara Krejcikova, uh, all phenomenal victories for Sabalenka on the indoor hard courts. And, I mean, she has started off her 2021 season with a bang as well. You know, thus far, where we're talking in the tournament, she beats Polona Herzog straight sets in the round of 64, now knocks off Alia Tamjanovic, 7-5, 6-4 on Friday. And it only gets better from here, folks. But she just possesses that sort of power that it doesn't really matter what her opponents are doing and I don't know how else to describe it because it's just sort of if you're hitting against someone and I hate saying this because and thankfully he doesn't actually listen to the podcast anymore because you know I think he's a little salty that he doesn't come on as much as he would like but you know my doubles partner in college and not to compare Arena Sabalenka who has world-class power to Max Rothman but in the club tennis world Max Rothman had world-class power and there are times you don't even want to hit with him because you're just like man you. Like, who is this fun for? Like, are you enjoying your slap down the line? Like, yeah, guess what? If you make that forehand, you win the point. But we're just here to sweat. We're not going pro. The point is, Arena Sabalenka is a pro, and she's got the sort of power that it doesn't really matter what her opponents do. If she's clicking, she's winning the match. And obviously, we're frustrated because we haven't seen her make that deep, you know, semi-final final run yet at a major in singles although it's always worth pointing out she has won a major title in doubles and she's got a lot of major titles on her resume as well right it was a Wuhan champion Shenzhen champion a Shu champion Doha champion at the beginning of last season as well and then the two wins in Ostrava and Lin she's number 10 to enter this season and you know now she's on what you, you look across coming out of Friday she's on an 11 match win streak uh after her Friday win over Tom Janovich. And it's just, you know, what she's done so well over the course of these matches is she's averaging about a 71, 72% win percentage on her first serves. And that's an elite number. That's the best of the best. If you're winning 70% of your first serve points, you're going to hold serve a lot of the time, particularly when you're making about 60% of your first serves on average during these matches. And, you know, that's a low-hanging fruit, right? If she can get that number to 60, four sixty five percent. It will do wonders for just how much easier her matches will become. And against uh, Tomjanovich, you know, her first serve percentage in this match for Sabalenka wasn't outstanding. She was at sixty-seven percent during the match, but that's where you want to be. That's solid for her. She wins sixty-one percent of her first serve points, only forty-eight percent of her second serve points. But she holds Tomjanovich to nine of twenty-four on the Tomjanovich second serve. And you know, when I talk about that fu power. There's a just, I always turn to Andre Rublev as the male example. There's just a ferociousness in every Arena Sabalenka swing. She's looking to hit the cover off the ball. She's looking to take control of the rally. Of course, she's a doubles Grand Slam champion. I mentioned that again because she's really proficient moving forward to the net. She's a really powerful North-South mover, I think an elite North-South mover, getting from the baseline to the net. Now, laterally, I think she's also very good considering the power she has, considering she doesn't have, you know, the typical... I, I, I hate to, you know, she's not the short, uh, short's the wrong word, but she's not a Barty, Halep body type, she's more the Serena sort of power athlete, and yet that power, I don't think she sacrifices much fluidity. She just checks off so many boxes, and when she's clicking, like she has been in her last three events, the talent is just so evident, and what to get back to Alia Tamjanovic, what was so impressive in this victory for Sabalenka, she made this 7-5, 6-4 victory look kind of routine, despite training. At times, you know, Tamjanovic. It's Garbine Muguruza light. Uh, you know, I think Yanovich now. And you look for her. She, I believe, is 27 years old. Currently ranked number 68 in the world. Uh, she does a lot of things really well for Yanovich. You know, five foot 11 uses that length. a Very good athlete, fluid athlete around the court. Uh, can produce power when in the outer thirds. And you look for her. The things she's gotten better at. Her first serve win percentage has continued to improve. You know, she was. Fifty-one percent a few years ago. She's gotten that number up to sixty-one, sixty-four, sixty-six and a half percent over these past few seasons. Now her first serve percentage is not where it needs to be, and that's why she's not an elite of the elite player because she's under fifty, uh, under sixty percent on average of her first serves. In that second serve does hang up at times, and that was the ball. Sabalenka, as I mentioned, capitalized on in this match was able to take control of so many points. Was able to break Tomjanovic six of uh, times on. 13 attempts versus only getting broken three times on nine different attempts uh, because she was just able to take control of points. She was the one more frequently moving to the net. Now, Tomjanovic did a really good job of taking her chances of win in the outer thirds, also using that space to get Sabalenka stretched and not allow her to tee off on the ball as she's done such a good job of doing And I actually really think Alia Tomjanovic, who struggled with injuries of like when healthy, She's a really, really special player. I mean, you look for Tomjanovich. Four and eleven is not the best in her last fifty-two weeks, but you know, you go back to that twenty uh, nineteen season. Tomjanovich was thirty-one and twenty-nine. In twenty eighteen, she was thirty-six and twenty-four. Injuries have played a big role in her past few seasons, but if healthy, I think she's someone who can absolutely stick around in the top 75 because she's got a lot of physical skills and you just can't teach some of that. But the story for me, Arena Sabalenka is a threat and I think should win a Grand Slam title if she plays plays her best tennis. Now, there are a lot of other players who can play really well also, but Sabalenka's got that gear like a Naomi Osaka, and I don't say that lightly. I think Osaka's the only other woman in history other than Serena Williams to approach that best of the best all-time service status but when she's clicking Arena Sabalenka She doesn't own a home, but they let her lease whenever she wants in that neighborhood, right? They're not, you know, she's not paying the $40,000 condo fee. She doesn't come to the board meetings where they're like, hey, I think we need to renovate the gym because this equipment's getting a little old and I love these treadmills, but you can hear the treadmill turning. And in modern day, they're anti-gravity treadmills, right? That's where the Osaka and Serena Williams serves live and Sabalenka- Doesn't own yet, but they let her lease in the neighborhood, and I think she could own by the end of this season. That's the sort of skill set. That's the sort of physical talent she has. So really impressed from her uh, second match in, uh, in Abu Dhabi on Friday. The other performance I want to break down, Yulia Putinseva, who I just think, she's just really good. Like, in terms of her floor as a player, she just does a lot of things really, really well around the court, and I know I've talked about her a bunch. She's now 19-10 in her last 52 weeks of play. You look at who the losses have come to, Halep, Brady, Sakari, Benchich, Mertens, you know, uh, Kudermatova, Teichman in Lexington, and we know how good she was. During that week of play, Podorowska at Roland Garros. But I mean, Yulia Putin Seva, I, I, I am a fan. I just think she, first of all, there's, I guess we can talk about the numbers as well. And you just look at her steady progression over the past few seasons. She goes 28 and 24 and 2016 in tour level matches, then 23 and 28, 22 and 23, 31 and 15. Last season, as I mentioned, 17 and 11. She keeps getting better at all of the little things as well. Her first serve win percentage has steadily risen from 58% to 61%. Her second serve win percentage, it's hovered around 45%, but given her size, that's not horrible. Uh, I think you know more importantly, something that she can hang her head on. She's gotten better and better each and every season on the return of serve as well. And it's just the skill set she brings. First of all, such a dynamic athlete. She also doesn't own and probably doesn't lease either, but she's got a friend in the HAL neighborhood in terms of her movement. And, you know, Coco Goff, by the way, is the youngest person to ever move into that neighborhood in terms of the elite elite movement neighborhood. Elite Movement LLC is what they call the neighborhood. Don't ask me. I don't live there for sure. Uh, But some people, do live there and that's the word on the street. Yulia Putinseva, she's got friends in the neighborhood, so they're used to seeing her around there and you know, it's what she can do when on the run as well. First of all, there she has no shame. She will throw a lob 35 feet in the air And just say alright we're back to neutral at this point And you know she'll play that brand of tennis She'll slice, she'll drop shot, she'll move forward She'll spontaneously take a ball On the rise and early down the line She's just got a really good skill set And look she's never going to hit her opponent off the court And you know I think if it's Sabalenka Versus Putin Seva that match is on Sabalanka's racket but Yulia Putin Seva is a scrapper And 25 years old going to turn 26 Or I think turn 26 actually On Thursday January 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 7th, so happy birthday to you, Yulia, uh, and many more returns. But I I just think you know, look, in this match against Krejcikova, uh in Kretchikova, by the way, who's been rock solid, Kretchikova, also 25 years old, a little bit younger than me. That's always crazy to see. She's been really good of late 29, uh, 21 and 9 in her last 52 weeks of singles action. She's, of course, such an accomplished doubles player already as well, but currently number 65 in the singles rankings. The things you'd like to see from her, again, how effective she's been on that first serve. She's jumped from 57% to 67% Over the past three seasons in terms of first serve win percentage, she's gotten her first serve in percentage above that 60% number as well. She continues to get better as a returner, Uh, but Putin Seva, you know, she just was never able to solve the Putin Seva riddle. Putin Seva threw so many different looks at her, never let Krejcikova get settled in the center of the court and dictate. And that's what I like about Putin-Seva, is just how uncomfortable she makes her opponents. If you have a bad day, and we all have bad days during the course of a 40-week season, uh, all of these players do, I say we, I should say all of these players are bound to have a bad day, you just aren't going to want to play Yulia Putinseva because she is going to make you uncomfortable. It's not quite Daniil Medvedev, uh, but it's Medvedevian uh, in terms of her game style. And I just think, again... You know, she had her best results of her career uh, last season for Putin Seva. You look at what she was able to do at the U.S. Open. She ends up making, I believe, the quarterfinals. there, beating Martich, beating Sassanovic before losing to Jennifer Brady at the French Open. Obviously, uh, three set loss to Nadia Podoroska looks much better in hindsight, uh, but I think Yulia Putin Seva is going to keep rocking and rolling during this 2021 season. I expect her to solidify her place in the top 30 because, again, she. Could can just throw so many different looks at her opponents, and that just makes her such a dangerous out. So look forward to uh, watching her compete throughout the rest of this season. Those are my two breakdowns from Friday's action. I want to quickly talk about everything else, give a few other notes, who impressed me, who did not on the day. I mentioned this in the earlier podcast, but Sarah Sarivas-Tormo is just a tough out, folks. I mean, a really nice three-set win for her over Bernarda Para. She just... Great mover, uh, nice variety with the backhand slice, very disciplined about taking balls early, just going to keep you uncomfortable the entire match, and Bernardo Perez fought and scrapped, and it's another close three-set loss for Bernardo Perez. She's had so many of them over the past 18 months, but it's a great win for Saribas Tormo, a really nice win uh, for Paula Badosa-Ghibert as well, 4-4 four and four over Alizé Cornet. Your other wins on the day in terms of the seeds who advanced, Sonia Kennan, and we haven't talked about this yet, what happened to Kirsten Flipkins, the fact that her ankle got just fractured or whatever it may be, severely sprained, just significantly damaged on one of those little court sideline banners, uh, sponsorship banners, why those are on the court befuddles all of us, I mean... The fact that even one player has gotten injured on it, get them out of there. There's plenty of other space in a tennis arena to sell that sponsorship to to make it visible to uh, the audience watching. So inexcusable. Uh, Obviously, we wish Flipkins nothing but the best. We know she is in her recovery path already, but Kennan, you know, was not playing her best tennis. She just hasn't played her best tennis all week in Abu Dhabi. Nevertheless, she finds herself... In the round of sixteen, and we'll talk about her more in a later podcast. Uh, your other seeded winner, Own Jaber, escapes against Bondarenko to get to the round of sixteen. She was down big in the first set. Actually, ended up fighting back, fighting off set points, getting it two five all, but ends up losing that first set seven five. Uh, from there, she just kind of did her thing. You know, five seven six three six two for Jaber. She's just so confident right now, and, you know, when you play with a game, a style with that much variety, right, that much spontaneity, you better be confident in your shots, because if you're going for a mid-rally backhand drop shot on the run, like Onjabur occasionally will do, uh, that takes some chutzpah to try and pull off, and she's able to do it. So I just think the confidence she gained last season, it's going to stick, and she is someone who also should stick in the top 30 of the WTA rankings. You know who's going to work her way there? Veronica Kudermatova, who played a different sport than Bianca Tarotti in her 2-1 and win to advance to the round of 16. Your only other winner on the day? is uh, Adansic. great follow-up. To her Jennifer Brady victory by knocking off young Canadian Leila Fernandez, 6 6-4. Don't worry about it if you're a Fernandez fan. I mean, she looked great in her first round match. And again, for any 18-year-old to be winning WTA 500 matches, she's exactly where she wants to be. In terms of her development curve, that was the action in Abu Dhabi. In terms of Delray Beach... Some notable results just in terms of the players because they're all people we have spoken to here at Cracked Rackets. You know, Bjorn Furtangelo, I'm telling you, he's going to get back. Maybe not top 100, but top 120 if he can stay healthy this season. He looked so good against Jack Sock and Carey. He looked really good in Orlando as well. And lights out in Delray Beach, 2-2 two and two win over Kevin King. Uh, he's going to take on Francis Tiafo We'll talk about that match in a later podcast as well. But just, again, such a high-floor match-to-match. She does a lot of things well on the court. No overwhelming weapon, but just the more well-rounded player than Kevin King. So great to see him healthy and back on the court getting a victory. Speaking of Francis Tiafo, he matches up well with lefties, folks. I'm telling you. And he just worked Donald Young again. One of them was playing checkers. The other was playing chess. Francis Tiafo, the bigger weapons. Young couldn't do much to hurt him. This match was on Tiafo's racket the whole time. Young played well, but 3-4 and four victory for Francis. Your other winners on the day, Roberto Quiroz. First, I believe, ATP-level win for him, maybe second, over Noah Rubin, 6-3 and three for Noah. It's tough. There's, the, the lack of weapons is evident, yet he's such a scrapper. Kiros just had the biggest weapon on the court in his forehand, and it was cutting through that Delray win. So, great win for him. Cam Nori just worked my boy, J.C. Aragone, Nori was just hitting corners and not missing, and J.C. played well, but Nori was just a level better. Nori was so relentless with his patterns, as great as J.C. is in terms of his speed. Nori was there. He was anticipated everything so well, and he just neutralizes everything so well. Uh, so good win for him. Great win for Christian Harrison, who we'll talk about more later. 4-2 and two over Echeverry. Ditto for Daniel Galan. 4-4 four and four over Andre Martin. And finally... Dr. Evo, he's never going away, folks. 43 years old, still winning ATP matches. He knocks off number seven seed, Pablo Andohar, in three sets. In Antalya, had a bunch of round of 32 matches that, again... We can't watch because there's no live stream. So just to tell you the results, Berrettini, Fonini, Demonauer, Stroof, all seeds that advanced on the day, your other players making the round of 16, Andreev, Jeremy Chardy, who we will talk about later, Hugo Grignier, Nikola Kuhn, Dimitar Kuzmanov, and Tristan Lamassine all advancing to the round of 16. And again, we will talk about all of those matches, break down each day's play, because there have been a lot of notable storylines, and we owe it to all of you listeners to keep you apprised on those storylines so be sure to check out the mini break podcast tomorrow we will be recapping saturday sunday and saturday sunday's action in one podcast monday tuesday's action in another podcast so that we are all caught up on thursday to get into wednesday's actions and then look ahead as abu dhabi and talia and delray beach all come to a close i believe on wednesday so be on the lookout for those podcasts on your mini break podcast feed and of course we've got other podcasts coming out as well If you want to hear the state of the union in all things related to the college tennis world in 2021, go check out the Great Shot podcast, the greatest of all time, Zoo Tennis blog founder Colette Lewis joining me for that conversation. And of course, every day on the GSP, we make our GSP aces of the day. All of you can follow those, excuse me, throughout the season as well as we continue to make those picks alongside our friends at DraftKings. And, of course, if you have missed anything from our College Contender Series Next Gen ATP 2.0 series, our weekly preview, review previews, our deciding point episodes, all of that can be found on the website, CrackRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Lieger and Daniel West for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to find all the best brands, all the best deals related to all things tennis. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Flater and Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at uh, at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and I suppose at DraftKings as well, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to go